And I just want to say thank you for showing me that just about any young guy can take my job here in the morning. So. I know some of you were here last week and you heard Pastor Matt talking about the uh, fact that he really admired Chip Gaines from uh, Fixer Upper and that he wished he had the opportunity just to go down there and spend some time with him and learn some things from him. Well, lo and behold, uh, this week he got a phone call and it was Chip Gaines asking him to come on down. So Matt went down there for a couple of days and, and Chip said, you know, Matt, I'm sorry, but this just ain't going to work. You better go back to preaching. So that's why Matt's here today. And uh, it's probably a good thing, too, because it wouldn't be good for us to, to have our pastor off doing his own DIY show anyway. So, All right, today we are going to continue in the book of Mark, starting in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. Mark 1, 29 through 42. Unfortunately, you're not going to see any of this on the overhead because I finished my sermon about uh, 10.05 this morning. So, All right, Mark 1, 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Now this passage is only 13 verses long. But I tell you, there is a lot going on there. And the more that you delve into this and the more that you put it together with other scriptures, the more you realize how much is happening so what I want to do is kind of go back through this a section at a time and talk a little bit about it. In verse 30, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Think about that, guys, going to your mother's house, knowing she's lying in bed sick, going in, grabbing hold of her hand, healing her and saying, be well, woman, and make me some soup. <laughs> she got up and waited on them. And, you know, I, I hate to do that, but I can't help but think that Jesus had a little ulterior motive there going on when he, when he healed her. Because she got up and started waiting on him. Anyway. All right. 
Verse 33, it says, The whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And I preached a few months ago on this very verse about how we sometimes get comfortable in what we're doing. And imagine, you know, Jesus was in the house and the whole town came to him. When's the last time you went to somebody's house and the whole town came to see you? Never happened to me. In fact, people kind of leave when I come, you know. Oh, Phil's coming. We got to go. Let's get out of here. I think if that were me, I would get pretty content having people come to me and being able to heal them and minister to them, preach to them about God. That would be an awesome situation. But he knew that wasn't what he was called to do. He knew he was supposed to take the gospel to as many people as possible in the amount of time he had. Verse 40 through 42, a leper comes and begs Jesus to heal him. It says that Jesus was moved with pity. That doesn't mean he looked at him and thought, oh, you poor, pathetic human being. I feel so sorry for you. It means he looked at him and he felt his pain. He felt his suffering. He had compassion on the man. So much compassion that he reached out and he touched him. In this day and time, you did not touch a leper. A leper was someone who had a very contagious disease. They were not allowed to live where everyone else lived. They had to live sometimes in different parts of the house or in the outskirts of the town. They weren't around, allowed to be around people. When they walked down the street and people were coming, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know not to come around them. We don't know how long this man had leprosy. But there's a very good possibility he may have not been touched by another human being in a long, long time, maybe years. Jesus' first response was to reach out and touch him. He could have just said the word and the man would have been healed. But he didn't. He touched him and healed him that way. Are there people that we don't want to be around? People that we certainly don't want to touch? Ever run across any of those people in your life? I know I have. So what is the point of this passage? Why is it important to us? What are we supposed to learn from these stories? I'm glad you asked that question, because I've got the answer. Now right now, I'm going to cover a substantial amount of scripture in the next few minutes, so please try to listen and notice the common theme that runs throughout these scriptures. And if you're interested in knowing what these are, see me afterwards and I'll give you a list of the, the scriptures that I'm using for this. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 14. 
And right off the bat, this section of scripture has a little controversy about it because the earliest manuscripts did not include this scripture. And most Bibles will say something to that extent. I know my NIV Bible says the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. I don't, however, believe there's any controversy about what is written in this scripture because nothing that is written in here is not talked about or proved in some other way in scripture except for maybe one thing and I'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes. So I'm going to start off here, Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, we do not have an example in Scripture of someone drinking deadly poison and not dying or not getting sick. However, we do have an example of Paul being bitten by a viper and had no ill effects from it whatsoever. He didn't get sick. He didn't die. And you may know that story. It was when he was on a ship in prison. He was in prison being transported to Rome, and the ship sank. And the people swam to shore on an island. It's in Acts chapter 28, verse 1. It says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was called cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Wow. That's quite a change, going from thinking this man is some kind of a, a murderer and that justice is going to prevail and do him in, and a few minutes later they're thinking he's a god because he got bit by a viper and had no ill effects whatsoever. Now, I'm not recommending any of you who believe in Jesus Christ to go out and stick your hand in a snake pit. In fact, there was a preacher not too long ago who liked to have snakes in his morning service, and he got bit, and he's a goner. I never quite understood that, but uh, we're not supposed to tempt God. You know, we're not supposed to test God in that kind of way. You know, I know that God will protect me, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go out and play on the railroad tracks when the train's coming. So you've got to use a little discretion. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This next passage is one that just fascinates me and has blown me away every time, every time I read it, every sense I've really kind of understood what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Think about what that's saying. That anyone who follows Christ, who tries to keep the commandments of God, God will come and make his home in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, not only will you be able to do the things that I have done, you will be able to do even greater things than that. How many of you believe that you can do greater things than Jesus? Come on, people, it's in the Bible. You don't believe it? That's a tough one, isn't it? I struggle with just doing what Jesus did, let alone anything greater. But that's what he tells us. That's what he says. That they will live in my heart. That he and the Father will come and make their home in my heart if I follow their commandments, if I believe in Jesus Christ. Luke 17, starting verse 20. It says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And I especially like how the NIV interprets interprets that verse. It says, Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Within you. It's reiterating what was just said in the other passage. That God's kingdom is here in our hearts. 
Matthew 28, starting at verse 5. This is when the, the women were going to the tomb after Jesus had been crucified. And they go and they, they didn't see him. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. You may remember on Easter Sunday morning, I kind of modified that verse a little bit. And not in any way am I saying that this was untrue. I'm saying this verse fits another day. It fits another situation. And I want to say that he is here. He is here because he is risen. He's not in that tomb anymore because he's risen, but he is here in my heart because he is risen. You've heard us talking about an event coming up here in June called Pentecost Together. This next passage is a little bit about Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and that's the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They're filled with new wine. In other words, they're saying they're drunk. You know what? In my younger days, I had, let's just say, more than one occasion that I got drunk. And never, ever, ever once did I speak a foreign language that I didn't know. Not once. Now, some people listening to me may have thought that I was speaking a foreign language, but I guarantee you, it did not happen. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Peter is explaining to the crowd who Jesus was and how they helped to crucify him. Starting in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. 
When we accept Jesus Christ and get baptized in his name, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God making his home in our hearts, giving us the Holy Spirit. So my question is, what are we doing with that gift? If somebody gave you a brand new car, would you just take it and park it in the garage and leave it there, go out and look at it every once? Oh, nice car, nice car. You like? want to see my car? It's in the garage. Come and see it. Okay, that's it. I'm putting it away now. Shut the door. No, you get in it, you go out, you drive it, you use it, you show it off. You make use of it. How many of us do that with the Holy Spirit? Luke chapter 3, 20, verse 21. It says, Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, and that goes on and on and on and on through the whole genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. It says, when he began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And what do you think that means? Supposedly the son of Joseph is what it was saying. Because he wasn't the son of Joseph. He was the son of God. No man took part in creating Jesus. Jesus was a direct result of God putting him into a body through Mary. One thing we have to understand and remember is that even though Jesus was, in fact, God, when he came to this earth, he lived as a man, as a human being, just like you and me, not as God. In Luke 2, in Luke 2 verse, starting at verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year, at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He sat in the temple courts learning and listening. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If he was not living his life completely and totally as a human being, he had no need to grow in wisdom or stature or in favor with God and man. But he was living as a human being. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days and nights. We see maybe a few minutes of all that temptation. A very, very, very small portion of what was going on that entire 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus resisted the temptations. Why? Because he was God? No. If he had resisted the temptations because he was God, it would have been pointless. He resisted the temptations as a human being full of the Holy Spirit. He lived his life completely and totally as a man, a human being, just like you and me. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 of that same passage says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those 
through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, to be tempted, you have to desire something. You know, we talked before about my special brownies that had a special ingredient, right? A little bit of dog poop in the brownies. Now, if I put a plate of them in front of you and said, here, here's some brownies, and they got a little bit of dog poop in them, would you be tempted to eat them? Anybody? There wouldn't be any temptation there, would it? But if I said, here, here's a plate of brownies fresh out of the oven with ordinary everyday ingredients that everybody else puts in their brownies, and they are delicious, would you be tempted to eat one? Sure. To have temptation, there has to be a desire. Satan put things before Jesus, and Jesus didn't say, oh, no, I don't want that. No, not interested. No, thank you. There was a desire. It says he suffered. He was tempted. He wanted them. But he said no because he had the power of the Holy Spirit in him. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot be tempted by evil. But Hebrews 2.18 says, he himself has suffered when tempted. God cannot be tempted, but Jesus suffered when he was tempted. Why? Because he was not living as God. He was living as a human being. And he understands every single temptation that we face each and every day. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Jesus showed us an example of how we should live our lives. He also freely gives us the very same power that he used when he was on earth to live our lives. He gave us an example to follow. And in order to follow that example, we have to have that power. We have to have that Holy Spirit inside of us because we cannot do it without it. It is impossible. 
Jesus came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. But he also came to show us something. He didn't come to show us what he could do as God. He came to show us what we could do with God in our hearts, with the kingdom of God right here, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you know why you have come into the world? Do you know that God has a clear plan for you? Do you know what that plan is? Is the kingdom of God in your heart? Are you using the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus offers to each and every one of us? Are you willing to reach out and touch someone who may be considered unclean? If you answer no to any of these questions, there's some changes that need to be made. And there is no better time than right now to make those changes because we might not have tomorrow. Talk to me, talk to Pastor Matt, talk to somebody. When is the last time that you put your hand on someone who was sick and prayed for them, fully expecting that God would heal that person through you because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart? That's not something that most of us do on a regular basis. Yeah, we pray. We know God hears us. We know God loves us. We know God answers our prayers. But how often do we truly, honestly lay our hands on somebody and pray for them, expecting them to heal? That God would heal them, that he would use us to heal that person. I don't do it. Not as much as I should. Not with the faith that I should. God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to get that gift out of the garage. We need to drive it around. We need to show it off. We need to use it. We need to let other people see it and say, hey, would you like this? I can tell you how to get one for yourself. They're free. No charge. No charge whatsoever. A free gift. We were given the Spirit to use in powerful ways. Scripture tells us that we can do everything that Jesus did, and then some. But yet again, how many of us really believe that? How many of us really try to do that? And why not? It's a scary thing, isn't it? If I could walk over and touch somebody who's sick, and all of a sudden they jump up and start making me some soup, Hey, that is scary. It's awesome. It's powerful, but it's a little scary to think that we could have that kind of power. Well, why not? He said, He gave it to us. He said, Here it is, use it. We just need to turn that switch on and put it to work because that's what it's there for. Think about it this week. Think about it when you walk out the door. The kingdom of God, yeah, someday we're going to be in that kingdom, the ultimate kingdom, 
the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever. But right now, we have the kingdom of God right here in our hearts. And what an awesome thing to be able to take it outside of this church and share it with our neighbors, share it with our friends, share it with our coworkers. What an awesome thing to do. So not only can the kingdom of God be, can be right here, it can be in a lot of different places that I go because it spreads like wildfire. We need to let it loose. We need to unlock that garage door and push it out and get it working. Show it off. Drive it around. Let's pray. Father God, I know as I prepared this sermon, Lord God, that you have spoken to my heart, that I have looked at these verses and said, I'm not doing these things, not the way I should. I find it hard to imagine that I could do things as great as Jesus did, let alone anything greater. But your word tells us that. It is written in your scriptures. And we know it is true. So God, I ask for faith for myself and for each and every one of us that we would believe it. That the next time that we pray for somebody that we believe beyond all doubt that you are listening and that you will do it. God, give us that courage to take the gift that you have given us and put it to work to show it to others, to use it to its full extent, to boldly proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, that he is here because he has risen. The kingdom of God is in our hearts. Help us to show the world for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name.